All right. Thank you, Ms. Monroe, for that. It's good to be here with you tonight. Let's get our Bibles and uh, look in Luke chapter 2 to start off with. The message tonight is going to be uh, kind of a, I call it a Bible study type message. And that's where I just read a verse and preach a while and go to another verse and preach a little longer and go to another verse and preach some more and, you know, kind of mix it all in in there. So we'll begin Luke chapter 2, verse number 40. And I do ask that you keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be looking in uh, several places tonight. And I think it's important that you actually do turn there and, uh, and, and read it for yourself as well. Luke chapter 2. And I want to read one verse here and then I'm going to have you turn to the book of 1 Peter. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 40. Is where we want to start. Luke chapter 2, verse number 40. It says, And the child, which is speaking of Jesus, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now I want you to notice in the first part of that, that verse, there is a mention there of growth. And then in the last part of that verse, there is a mention of grace being upon him. The connection between growth and grace is what I want you to see. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Notice the semicolon at the end. The sentence doesn't end. If, and here's the condition, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Again, a connection between growth and and grace. Now, if you would turn to Second Peter chapter three, you could probably almost guess this one. Second Peter chapter three and verse number eighteen. Second Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of the pH level of grace. <laughs> well, that sounds technical, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. But I'm going to explain the pH level of grace. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you for our pastor. Do pray that you'd be with them and give them safety as they travel back home. But Lord, we need you to meet with us tonight and to give us the truths that we need in our lives to accomplish your purpose. So please, we, we beg you, God, to meet with us or all is in vain. Speak to our hearts now. Help us to pay attention on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. We stopped with uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. I just want to talk about 
the words that are right there grow in grace. The word grow just simply means to enlarge, to increase. It is speaking, of course, of spiritual growth. That is what we should all desire, the spiritual growth or any positive aspect to it. We could break it all down and we could talk about our influence uh, that, that we may have upon other people as far as the Christian faith goes or as encouraging them or motivating them to live for God or to make the right decisions or in giving counsel, our influence upon others. Uh, it could be our growth in our Christian character where we are more dedicated, where we are more faithful, where we are more consistent, where we are uh, we love more, where we have greater devotion in our life. It's just every aspect of spiritual growth, I think, is encompassed in that last admonition that Peter gives to the people he's writing to as he closes out his letter. Grow, he says, in grace. And I want to see growth in my life. Uh, we should never get to the point where we're not willing and wanting and desiring to grow. Uh, just keep growing. Uh, I want to grow in my personal life, in my personal devotion to God, in my walk with Him, in my Bible reading, and in my closeness to Him. I want to grow. I want to grow in my marriage. I want me and my wife to be closer than we've ever been. And I want us to uh, enjoy what God intended for marriage to be. I want uh, to see my kids grow spiritually. I want to see them and their character develop. And even now as they're young adults, I want to see them continue on their own. And I want to be a part of their lives. And I want to have them uh, grow and advance. And I want to see this church grow, not just numerically. That would be great. But I want to see each and every member of this church to grow spiritually. That spiritual growth that Peter's talking about here, I think that each and every one of us in our hearts we're right with the Lord that we want to grow and we want to see others grow. We are to grow, it says, in grace. Grace. <laughs> messages upon messages have been preached about the grace of God. But I don't know that any of them could ever do the true grace of God justice. The word grace here means graciousness. Graciousness of manner in how God would treat someone or gracious act that he performs. We may call it unmerited favor is a popular definition. Looking up the meaning in this text, it is undeserved favor. Grace is part of the very character of God. Jonah, when he fled from God and was swallowed by the well and he repented in the belly of the well and he was vomited back out and then took off to Nineveh and preached and those folks repented in a great revival and Jonah was very upset and God approached him and asked him what was wrong and Jonah said, this is why I didn't want to come because I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful slow to anger, of great kindness, and willing to repent of the evil you were going to do to these people. Jonah did not want them to repent. He did not want them to have forgiveness. But God is gracious. God is gracious. 
Grace is scattered throughout the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 6, where it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord to the very last verse in the Bible where John prays for God's grace to be with us all. Without a doubt, God has shown grace to us. If we are saved, we know this, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Salvation before the foundation of the world, God uh, created man knowing that he was going to sin, that he was going to fall, and that he would have to come and live and die upon the cross for our sins as the only way that we could spend eternity with him. And he did that. That was a gracious act of God that brought about our salvation. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No, we did not deserve that love. We did not deserve those acts of kindness. And may I say that we would not know anything about God if it had not been for His grace, the undeserved favor that He has shown to each and every one of us in revealing Himself to us through His Word and through His prophets of old and through His acts and manner of graciousness. We know of God and His plan of salvation tonight. Thank God for His grace. Not only when getting saved, but in strength to continue on. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 expresses his time when he had a thorn in the flesh and how it was troubling him and he prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. But God's answer came back after the third time and said, No, I'm not going to remove this thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for thee. And thank God not only for his saving grace, but for his strengthening grace to endure in the Christian life anything that may come up. We can endure hardships or loss or circumstance by the grace of God. We can be enabled to surrender our lives and to stand up for him and even be enabled to forgive others who wrong us. That grace encourages us to continue on and to give sacrificially and to trust His Word and find hope. That grace empowers us to walk with God, to witness to others, and to overcome temptation. My, we can just go on and on about the grace of God, but that's not the purpose of the message tonight. But may I just say that songwriters have tried to express the very meaning of grace by calling it wonderful, marvelous, are amazing, but there are no words in any language that could adequately describe God's grace. Thank God for His grace. Peter said, grow in grace. We talked about grow. We talked about grace. But we dare not skip over that little preposition. It's the key to the whole message tonight. Grow in grace. The word in is a preposition denoting position. The definition says this in Strong's Concordance, and by implication, instrumentality. Or in other words, it is telling us here is the instrument by which something is accomplished or done. Or in other words, an instrument or means to an end. So in grow in grace, as the verse says, Growth is the end, but grace is the means. In other words, the growth is only going to occur 
in an environment of grace. I think of all the advances anyone has ever made in their spiritual life. And may I say, you can't help but see in the midst of that the grace of God. It is in that grace that we grow. Let me give you an illustration. This past year, out in my yard, I was overtaken by an area that just kind of crept up on me. Several years ago, I noticed a couple of areas in my lawn that were, that were brown and grass looked like it was not doing well. And then right beside it was a good, green, thriving plant. I didn't, uh, I didn't think too much about it. And then the next year come along and it seemed to be a little worse. And I ignored it all that season. And then this year came. And uh, my daughter Kristen helps me mow. And I had noticed it in my mind. And she said something in the early spring when we mowed. And she said, boy, that area there near the front, there's, it just looks awful. Everything looks dead. And I went out there and I looked again at that particular area. And boy, it did. I mean, that was just, I'm like, this is not how grass is supposed to... Now, I'm not a lawn guy. I'm not, I'm not big on having the lawn of the month, you know. I mean, uh, I just cut the grass and go on, right? So I get to the front door and that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm not real big on having the best lawn in the neighborhood, although I'm not opposed to that. And, uh, and so I said, okay, I cannot continue to neglect this lawn anymore. I'm going to have to find out what is going on or we're not going to have any grass. We're going to have... Dirt, that's all that's going to be there. And so uh, I called up my uh, uh, friend of mine who is a landscaped architect. I sent him a picture and I said, hey, do you know what's going on with my grass? And he come back to me and said, it's dead. <laughs> I said, really? I said, you have a real keen eye, buddy. Uh, yeah, it is dead. What's going on and why is it dying? It keeps getting bigger. He says, I'm not really sure. He said, but you better get a soil test done to see what's going on. And I said, okay, I will do that. And he said, and also he referred me to another agricultural specialist. And so uh, I got in touch with them and talked with them and went by and showed them the pictures of it. And this guy said, I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's no doubt that is a fungus. I don't know if it's brown patch or large patch, but it is a fungus. And he said, here's what you're going to have to do. He said, and don't think you're going to fix it in one season. He said, it's going to take some time. So we came up with a plan. I had to kill the fungus and put out a fungicide in those areas. I had to remove the weeds and spray a selective herbicide twice, two applications, two weeks apart, to kill the weeds that were growing up. And boy, when they died, it looked ten times worse. And then I had to wait for my soil test to come back. The soil test, when they come back, said that you have a pH level that is too acidic. And you need to adjust that. And then you need some nutrients to be added, some potash for potassium and some nitrogen need to be added so that the grass can get the nutrients that it needs to grow. So in other words, they were telling me that I needed to change the soil environment so that it was conducive to growth 
so that I could grow what I was trying to grow in that soil. I have a picture of that area. If uh, Jonathan, if you put that up. For those in the auditorium, you may look on the back screen if you want to <laughs> and see that there are some just some brown patches, and that's just a small portion of the area that was there. And so we put out lime to adjust the pH level. And uh, this was taken at the middle of May, about May 11th or 12th. And then I thought about it this afternoon. I went and took a picture of that same area again. But Jonathan, if you'd show how it looks now, there it is now, after I made all the adjustments. And then just so you can compare the two again, here's, uh, here's a picture on the top is the previous one. And then two months later, how the grasses begin to grow. So here's what we did. We took the environment that the soil was in. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Took the soil that the environment was in, and I figured out, hey, something's not right. This grass is not growing, and I'm growing weeds, and I've got a fungus that is very much active. And uh, normally, that's not going to be the case. I want, I want my lawn to grow. I want some grass to be there. And so I had to make some changes. And in asking this specialist, he said, in changing the pH, I said, now listen, why can't I just put out the fertilizer with nitrogen and potassium in it and my grass just grow and take it back over? And here's what he said. Now, just to give you those who may not know, pH uh, is just an abbreviation of two words, potential of hydrogen is what it means. And what the pH does, it measures the, uh, the acidity or alkalinity of the soil. Now, I know those are fancy technical words, but all it does is it measures your soil to see if it has any acid in it or if it's alkaline or doesn't have any acids. And uh, it's on a scale of 1 to 14 with 7 being neutral. Anything higher than the number 7 is alkaline. Anything like 1 through 7 is acid, 7 through 14 is alkaline. And so grass has a certain acidic part that it likes. It likes between, depending on the grass type, between 5.5 to 6.5 pH. That's where it likes to be. And so that's where I, wanted, I needed it to be. And so with the soil test come back, my pH level was 4-something. And they said, your soil is so acidic that the grass cannot grow. I said, explain that to me now. Why is the, the pH level so important? And he said, the importance of the pH level is this. It is the key element because it creates the environment where the nutrients that are in the soil can be absorbed and transferred into the roots of the plant where it can grow. Now hear what he said. This is just growing grass now. He said the pH is key because it creates the environment where the nutrients that are in the soil can be transferred and absorbed through the roots of the plant so it can grow. And I knew I had a sermon illustration right there. 
I said, that's grace. That is grace. You can have all the truth in the world available to anyone. Boy, we've seen it over and over again through different homes and families. Families raising uh, husband and wife, parents raising children where they are very strict with their children with the truth and that needs to be there. That's one of those nutrients that they have to have. They're in a good church. They're getting good preaching. They're in a Christian school and they're bombarded with the truth. But may I say, if there's not an element of grace, there's no way those nutrients of truth are going to be able to transfer to them and there be any growth. Grace is the environment in which spiritual growth occurs. So if we want our marriages to grow, then there has to be some adequate level of grace between husband and wife. If we want our kids to respond properly to our discipline as parents, then we are going to have to discipline with grace. If we want our church to experience spiritual growth, yes, we're to proclaim the truth. Yes, we are to declare it. Yes, we are to have standards and convictions, but we are to do it with grace. We are to discipline our children, yes, for the wrongs that they do, but we're to do it with grace. We are to be honest with our spouse and deal with issues and problems and their, their, their lack of perfection, if you will. But hey, all of that has to be done with grace if we expect growth. Paul made this declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul summed it all up and said, I would not be anything if it wasn't for the grace of God. And may we realize that. Let's take a look at some familiar scriptures, but maybe in a new light, understanding this particular aspect of grace. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to see it in Scripture, the connection of growth and grace. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we are to run this race by looking to Jesus. And he goes on through several verses and talks about the chastisement of God and comes back to this, this point in verse 14 about looking unto Jesus. He says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, looking diligently, he said. So we are to be looking diligently. And then he begins, here's what happens if that doesn't take place. If you are negligent, if you just allow that fungus to keep on growing, here's what you can expect. You can expect 
a constant deterioration. And here's the very first thing that happens, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of what? The grace of God. So that's the very first problem is that God's grace is no longer present. Then he says, look what happens lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. So now we're dealing with the weeds of bitterness and rebellion. Huh? And bad attitudes. Why? Because the grace is not there. There's conflict. There's division. There's malice. You pull that environment of grace away and this is what happens. The, the roots of bitterness begin to spring up. Thereby many be defiled, but it doesn't end there. There's one more. Lest there be, and this is kind of the line in the sand, lest there be any fornication or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. If you neglect it long enough, there is going to be sin and damage because of that sin that cannot be repaired. Thankfully, I got to my lawn in time. I took action and in a few seasons, I hope that things are taken back over and I'm getting the growth that I want. But hey, listen to me. More important than a silly lawn and having green grass is your marriage and is your children and is the health and wealth of this church spiritually. And if we allow grace to disappear in our lives and in our dealings with others and in our workplace, with our co-workers, with our boss, with our business, with those who work for us, with our fellow church members, with our staff members, with our fellow teachers in the school, whatever it be, whatever application, in any dealings that you have with people, we as God's people are to deal with them in manner and actions uh, exactly like our Lord did, uh, that of grace and being gracious. Stand for the truth, yes, but stand with grace. So we see this progression go. Boy, that's a negative example of what happens when grace is removed. Turn with me, Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph has had a rough go of it. His brothers have done him evil. After plotting to kill him, they backed off of that plan and decided to sell him into slavery, and that's what they did. Sold him, sold him to those Ishmaelites as they went down into Egypt. In Genesis 39, verse 1, we pick up with the story, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. 
And then it's amazing, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. <laughs> I love it. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Don't read it too fast. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Notice verse 4. And Joseph found grace. <laughs> Joseph found grace in his sight. He needed some grace, didn't he? After all the hardships he'd been through. And God gave it to him through the man that purchased him as a slave. But notice the next statement. And he served him. You realize? All the evil that had been done to him. He did not deserve to be there. He was mistreated. He was not supposed to be a slave. He had dreams and God already revealed to him that he was going to be ruler. But now he's a slave. But it is in the grace that God showed him that he was able to take it. Surrender to what God was doing in his life and serve Potter. Calls of grace. We can flip over to chapter 45. After he is ruler and his brothers show up for the second time and he begins to reveal himself to his brothers. In Genesis chapter 45, these are the ones who sold him into slavery. These are the ones who mocked him. These are the ones who caused him all those hardships as he revealed himself to his brothers in chapter 45 and verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near unto me. I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. How can you respond that way? Only with grace. He took the grace that God had given him and he shared it with his family. Well, you don't know what my wife's done to me. You don't know what my husband's done to me. You don't know what they said to me or how they said it. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they wronged me. You don't know how much money they cost me. They don't deserve to be treated kindly. Is that how God treated you? Did you deserve to be treated kindly? Did you deserve forgiveness? Did you not steal from God? Did you not do Him wrong? You were sinners, and He died for you. 
Grace. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor. And though your spouse may not deserve favor, you're to give it anyway. And though your child has done some terrible things wrong, you got to discipline with grace. And though fellow church members may be in gross sin or do things wrong that hurt you and offend you or that hinder the work of God, you've got to deal with it with grace. Because it is in the environment in grace that things get right. It is in the environment of grace where we grow. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the church in Jerusalem is just day after Pentecost and all that's taking place. And I mean, they are just, things are happening. God is at work in miraculous ways. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power, now that's not socialism, by the way. That was voluntarily uh, giving, sacrificial giving. They volunteered to sell possessions and and take that money and give to the needs of others. So uh, just to clear that up there. Verse 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and we almost always just kind of skip over this part, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there many among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of those things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, very interesting, there were many people who did that. The Bible only tells us and names one person who did. Next two verses. And Joseph, who by the apostles were, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite in the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas was in that church at Jerusalem that had the grace of God upon it where great things were happening. Now, persecution came to the church. They were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the gospel. Churches all over that region began to pop up because the folks in the church in Jerusalem were sent out by the persecution. And look over in Acts chapter 11. We won't go through all the history of that, but we're going to look at this church here that sprung up in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. 
Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things, so great things happening at Antioch. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. They heard about it. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now notice, 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God. Remember, Barnabas knows what it looks like He's met the church in Jerusalem where things were happening. Great grace was upon them. And when he got to Antioch and he saw them, he said, these people have the grace of God upon them. God's doing something here. And he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then what did Barnabas do? Look at what he did. He was so excited about the church of Antioch that he took off. In verse 25, he departed to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Now notice this. Here's the church at Antioch that has the grace of God upon it. And the disciples that were produced by that church were called Christians first in Antioch. That's significant. Because those disciples' manner of life and actions was a reflection of Jesus Christ. Luke 4, 22 says this of Jesus. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words of which proceeded out of his mouth. It was this church at Antioch that became the center of the gospel spreading to the rest of the known world at that time. We turn over to chapter 13. It was Paul and Barnabas while they were assembled at the church of Antioch were called out to go on that first missionary journey. Hey, here is a church with the grace of God upon it. And the disciples are growing spiritually so much so that they are a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And God is calling people out of that church to go to the mission field, to spread the gospel to the regions beyond. Hey, that's the kind of church I want, but you don't get that kind of a church without the grace of God being upon it. And we cannot have a church with God's grace upon it if you don't have it upon your life and you don't have it upon your marriage and you don't have it in dealing with your children and you don't have it at the workplace and you don't have it at school. There's going to be no growth because the pH level of grace is not at the point where truth can be transferred into the life of others. God help us. What difference would it make in our homes and in our church if we had the right level of grace? You say, boy, I need to have a little grace. Yeah, me too. I tend to be a person with more truth than grace. We all have to soften that truth up with grace. Where do we get it? 1 Peter 5.10 says that our God is the God of all grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hey, God is the God of all grace. He sits upon the throne of grace and says, Come to my throne and I will give you grace. That's where we get it. We enjoy God giving us grace. But Peter also said that we were stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're not to keep it. We're to pass it on to those that are a part of our life that we come in contact with, dispersing the grace of God. How do we pass along this grace that we get from God? I'm glad you asked. I'll show you and we'll be none. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Ephesians 4 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Notice this. That it may minister what? Grace. Unto the hearers. Our very words can minister grace if we're careful with them. Our society has become so very caustic, right? Especially our politicians and media, they have taken it to a new level and a lower level, I must say. They have dropped it down and people cannot be even civil with one another who have any kind of disagreement. But may I tell you, the church of Jesus Christ can't be that way. We have to have grace if we're going to grow. Your marriage isn't going to make it if you 
treat one another that way with corrupt communication. Your children are going to rebel. Those weeds, the grace is going to be gone and those weeds of bitterness and rebellion are going to grow. Notice verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The admonition from Peter, grow in grace. If you want spiritual growth, yes, you need the nutrients of truth, fellowship, all those things. Even if you have all of those, if the pH level of grace isn't there, it's not going to get transferred. And there's going to be no growth. Let's be sure that in dealing with people, that our manner and our actions and our words are words of grace. <laughs> what is it? I'm reminded of Colossians. Four six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. The predominant thing in your speech should be grace. You know, if you eat food, you season it with salt. The main ingredient isn't salt. You just season it with it. The main ingredient in our speech ought to be grace. With a sprinkle of truth for the other person. So that they can grow. The element of grace, growing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time tonight. And Lord, we just pray. Lord, I don't know exactly why you would have me preach this message tonight and give me the opportunity to do so, but you certainly do. Lord, our world is just so hateful and cruel to one another. And Lord, sometimes we just go along with the world or maybe not as quite as bad as the world. But you don't want us to be any kind of reflection of the world. We need to be a reflection of you. And Lord, may we learn to be not only truthful people, help us to be that, but help us to be gracious people. And especially with those in our own family, in our own church, in our own ministry. And may we have a church so that when someone without comes and walks into our assembly, it could be said, I see the grace of God upon you. That's what we desire. Lord, we're going to have to make some adjustments. And the reason we know that is because we see the weeds 
that are growing. We're not getting the growth that we want. And it may just be because we're missing the element of grace. So help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.